Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining me today is Adam Freeland, Certified Financial Planner and Managing Principal of Hartford Financial Group. Thanks for joining me, Adam. So glad to have you. Um, excited to hear our listeners um, be able to hear about you and your story. You've got a really interesting background, um, and that's where we like to start. If you've listened to any of my podcasts, I'd love to get uh, uh, get it right out there in front because it helps us carry the rest of the podcast through. How did you get started in the financial services industry? Well, I definitely took the road less traveled. Uh, so my background, I was uh, in the U.S. Navy's nuclear engineering program. And then after I got out of the Navy, I was a defense contractor for 14 years, uh, working through the Army's uh, chemical weapons disposal program. So it's definitely not a route most advisors would take. But as Amy, as you well know, my predecessor, the owner and founder of of the firm that I presently work at, Hartford Financial Group, Matt Rehack, he worked you and Eric with him for a long period of time. He was a big believer in the E-Myth. And so the whole concept of, of really, you know, designing processes and procedures and, and so on. So I was a client of Harvard Financial Group and I had looked into the field before, but, you know, I, I you know, the way it was uh, constructed in the past is, hey, you've got to you know, come into the industry and build from the ground up and, and so on. Well, I had a young family and I couldn't really take that kind of risk. And so Matt had actually recruited me to be his succession plan. He was so really forward thinking. You know, he was really uh, in financial planning before that was was really a, a thing. He was really into sort of fee based before that became a thing. But he really thought about succession planning. So he he and his partner Paul had approached me back in 2006 and asked me, "Are you interested?" in a career because when i come in for meetings i talk about investments and i was just intrigued by this whole industry and i really was drawn to it and they gave me an opportunity where i came over working with them as an associate advisor junior advisor working with clients and, and so on with the goal that eventually i would be their succession plan and in 2014 they sold me the practice and i give them a lot of credit because they they really, they they brought me in, trained me, you know, did a lot of things where I didn't have to always worry about where my next meal was coming from. And then, you know, it was a progression to get me to the stage where I could, I I could be a, a succession for them on this practice and, and, and where they could cash out of the business, which they did, and know that, you know, it would be in good hands. Adam, how did that training work? So that's, and are you... Uh, repeating it, I guess, um, in today's world. Are, have you taken some of that and found out how to build your next generation? Uh, because I think it's something a lot of financial professionals struggle with is figuring out how to go out and recruit that person in, especially if they don't have background, second career type people, um, and then get them up to speed and, and get them uh, ready to take the business over. How does that work? Yeah, Amy, what, what there, so to answer your question, is I'm doing a lot of this, the similar things that Matt and, and Paul did, but then, you know, just a natural kind of business, there are enhancements that we've done to, hey, in lessons learned to make it even better. We we look at, at, at not just advisor career paths, but but even our, our service professionals, our administrative professionals. Um, one, of, one of the reasons they recruited me is I came from a corporate background and 
was more specifically in training. I was in HR um, and just management and sales. So I, I had a, uh, my previous uh, companies, I had that, that expertise and that's what I really sort of build on. What, what I think a lot, what, what I give Matt a lot of the credit is that, and, and it's, it's hard for a lot of advisors to really try to understand this and just make that mental leap. They want, uh, they want to bring in their future advisors and they want them to be in the terminology hunters right from the get-go. Are you bringing in revenue? And Matt never had that from my, my thing. He, he, he understood that if I could, I could really, you know, service his existing clients and take care of a lot of the administrative types of things, not necessarily sell from the get-go, that it freed up his time to really be more of the rainmaker. And so that's really what we, we follow the certified financial planner career path where they call it, you know, analyst, associate advisor, service advisor, lead advisor to managing principal. Those first three steps of the rung you know, analyst, associate advisor, and service advisor, you're not doing a lot of business development. You're doing, you're learning the technical aspect and aspects of the job. You're, you're becoming a certified financial planner. You're doing all those different things and you're learning. You're, it's sort of a, an internship or a mentorship that you're, you're, you're learning to sell from the, the lead advisors. So that's really, we, we become very, very deliberate. You know, if I could tell you, you know, sort of the, taking the evolution from Matt and Paul, there was Matt laid that groundwork and we really, really sort of streamlined that better. And now we have a better idea of how do, how do we help client or, or how do I help our advisors go up the rung? How do you, how do you develop that skill set to become uh, a lead advisor? That's really ultimately the goal. Talk about your team. Um, tell us what it's structured. How many people are in each one of those roles at any given time? And obviously that's changed your very successful business. And, and I'm sure you have more today than you did perhaps when you first took over. But what does it look like? Yeah. So I give Cambridge a lot of credit for this and really just being a part of RPM, real practice management and process improvement. Really, we've taken advantages of those services. And as you and I were speaking about offline, one of the things I love business, I, I eat it up and I just not only when I go to Cambridge conferences like Ignite or other types of types of things, am I observing the technical content that you guys deliver? But I, I, I love being a student of what Cambridge, what you know, Eric and Amy and Dan and the whole executive team and Jeff, you guys are, are doing. We watch how you run your business. And so one of the things that that going through real practice management and just one of the things that the the light bulb went off for me was, you know, of the different ways you can sort of grow your business. What what I realized that would be best for our firm was to really be a true ensemble practice where we, you know, instead of having multiple advisors doing their own thing, we spent a lot of our time, you know, not only standardizing the processes of how to train advisors, but we want to standardize virtually everything on our processes, how we do financial planning, how we do investment management, how we do client service, uh, the, uh, you know, how, how all those different things. So that, you know, as you go into any restaurant that you like, say Outback, right, you know that if you're in Outback in Chicago, Illinois, or Dallas, Texas, or Baltimore, Maryland, it's going to be very similar. So we, we wanted to standardize 
how we work with advise or how our advisors are doing it so that we're not all doing our own thing in our wild west. So we, because of Cambridge, we decided to really focus on becoming a true ensemble practice. And so with an ensemble practice right now, uh, we have, uh, we're a little bit, we're sort of a hybrid. We've got, we've got six full-time advisors that are a part of the ensemble and with two lead advisors, myself and Melissa Mullen. And we're training our next group to move up towards that. We have two independent advisors that really sort of just work under us. And then right now we have seven admin, you know, folks that help uh, our, you know, our client service where they're doing the applications, they're doing the distributions, they're doing everything along those lines. But where we really got in traction in the last two years, Amy, is, is really, I'm really proud of our ensemble team where, and this goes back to your sort of question, your previous question, where we did a lot of self-learning before, you know, and now, and now we have a more standardized way of what we want our advisors to, to know. So a lot of my time and Melissa's time, uh, we, we spent a lot of our time just really making sure we, we design training, we do training. Some of it's us doing it in-house. Sometimes it's, it's having our, our team go out for, for training and things along those lines. And then how do you explain that structure to a client? What does a client hear in terms of, or, or maybe even what do they see and feel when they come in to meet with you? How do, how do you get that team concept across to the individual investor? Well, one, one of the things that I would say, like I said, observing Cambridge and watching, I remember when I went to uh, Fairfield, you know, uh, for the first time and it was part of OSW is I, when I saw the values were everywhere, you know, and, and, and obviously you talk, you know, about values all the time. We went through a strategic planning process uh, several years ago where we went, you know, we went through a lot of our, our mission, vision, values. And it, my, my coach at the time really helped crystallize this for me. And, we're, and, and, and my role as a leader of the organization is that, I, you know, oftentimes when organizations do those types of things, they do the exercise and then it goes sit sits on a on a, a bookshelf and collects dust. And one of my things that the coach told me is like, hey, look, your responsibility as a leader of the organization is to constantly talk about mission, vision, values. So our 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 values are teamwork with heart. Uh, it was an acronym that we came up with. So our, our values are teamwork and collaboration. Those go together. Hospitality, expertise, adaptability, relationships, and trust. And so when when we talk about that to to new clients we talk about that hey that's our value system where we believe in the teamwork and you know we don't want it to be the sole you know the lead advisors that you're building the relationship so i actually i was just in a meeting right before this interview and i was talking to a prospective new client and i was explaining to it i, I use the analogy of a medical practice where you may have the primary care physician that you're, you know, that you have, but, you know, if you're working, you know, with your, your medical practice, working with physicians, assistants and nurses and administrative personnel and, and the, the, you know, the doctor's still involved with it, but they're not doing all those types of things. So we really try to, you know, the expertise of the team and, and, and it's really important. And this goes back to your, some of your questions before it's really important for the senior advisors and the lead advisors to really 
talk about the value of their team so that your the client you know from the beginning knows that okay hey I don't always need to be talking to the lead advisor to handle my issues. He's got a he or she's got a really good team that uh, that they can I can I can speak to to handle my problem. Yeah, for our listeners, I will say what you're describing is a, a perfect example of there's there's variations of true ensemble for different reasons, but it is by far the fastest growing segment although maybe still a small percentage because it's a fairly new, you know, our business back in the 80s and 90s was the independent business was really built on solos or silos, as we call them, solo practitioners who are working together in some sort of an office, but they still have their own practices. Um, But over time, we're seeing that percentage decline with new entrants into the market and more of the model that you're describing growing really quickly. And it is a really healthy thing for the clients so that some of those worries that solos have of having to figure out how to transition the business, it's just done naturally through them building relationships with that team instead of an individual. So that's very cool. Yeah, Amy, what I would add to that, to, so what you just said, when, you know, we, we've gone through some training over the last several years. We were really part of the Philip Halaby, if anybody's familiar with him, with the G2 Ensemble. I went through that training, which was really, really helpful for me. And one of the things that we we have really done, there's the, some big things that we've done within the firm to, to foster that even more is one is, re, you know, we're, for many of us that grew up, you know, in under the grid system and and so on. Now there's practicalities that, hey, they're, they're you know, they're the client of a specific rep. But fundamentally, how we look at it from the, the you know, our, our office they're not Adam Freeland's clients or Melissa Mullen's clients. They are the clients of the firm. And so it, it, that's a really big distinction because, and, and it's also the incentivizing of reps. You know, if we, we, you know, if we have somebody that's got a specific expertise on social security planning or income planning or estate planning, that person is like, well, if I help this person, it, it I doesn't, you know, how does that financially benefit me? By removing that, and you know, we 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 have truly moved it, and and we've actually moved away from the grid to more uh, salaries, you know, that are on there, and then and, and making the bonuses and and incentive compensation more for the firm wide than just individual production. Absolutely, I'm glad you added that because that's a big component that a lot of people struggle with. But in the end, I think. Building for the future is more of those models because the eat what you kill, the attractiveness to that that solo model that I was just talking about for younger generations is not as strong as it used to be. They want to be a part of a team. They want to have more consistent compensation and skin in the game so that the upside is there for them as they contribute more. So you've made some really, really good decisions. For those that are maybe at the top of the chain, like you are, that have gone through the various steps and are now running an organization, what are the actual types of tasks that you do as a managing principal? What does that look like? How have you, and was it a challenge to figure out what to delegate and what to hold on to? I love this question because I think about it. I, I was just on vacation, you know, and I, it's hard for me to turn things off. I love, I love business. I love business. I love being an entrepreneur. And where I had a lot of respect for Matt, he built a, a Harvard Financial Group up from the bootstrap, you know. And I'm coming in as the second generation, and I, I don't have to pay the dues. He 
you know, he'd drive two hours to sit on somebody's porch and back in the day, you know, and stuff. And fortunately, we're not, you know, not where it, but going back to the thing, part of the reason that Matt and Paul uh, recruited me, and, and I would say this as, as the, as advisors are thinking about their, their next generation that you, that you have, you know, what, what the skill set that took you from where, you know, what the ground up to where you are now is not necessarily going to be what takes you to the next level. And, you know, for me, I really love management. I love sales. One of the skill sets that I realized that I had to bet, become better at was strategic planning. Certainly as I, you know, I, skill sets that I had to sort of fill, you know, fill in for myself is, is going there. But, you know, I really, you know, going back to sort of the e-myth and, and if those who may not be familiar with Michael Gerber, you know, his whole thing, it's the entrepreneurial myth. And, and, it, and it really is, you're not, whatever you are, you're not a financial planner first, you're a business professional. You know, you're a bit either you're a business owner. And I talk about this to my team a lot. I, I said, before you look at yourself as a financial planner, I want you to think of yourself as a business business professional. How does what how does the business make money? How does it how does all those those different things? And so we're really trying to cultivate that within the team that you're a business professional first and then whatever, you know, task that you're that you're you're covering. Uh, sort of second. So that's really been helpful. And, and so, you know, most of my day right now, um, I, a lot of my time is, is a lead advisor, but my my goal is to grow so that, you know, I'm doing, I'm transitioning more towards, you know, towards being a rainmaker, being a, a you know, more strategic types of planning, uh, more, uh, you know, more uh, team development than actually working with clients. I'll, I'll always have a little bit of clients, but my my main focus won't be day to day working with clients uh, for the most part. Yeah, um, transitioning to the CEO really is what you're describing, and we see a lot of people who are making that transition decide to hold on to some of the top clients, you know, maybe you've got 10, maybe you've got 20 that you're still the lead planner on so that you're staying in touch with it. But to your point, then really shifting over to leadership and leading the firm, which along with all these designations that you've got, let's see, retirement income certified professional, certified in long-term care and certified financial planner. Talk about how those designations help you bring a holistic approach to your business and how do you work that into when you're talking to your clients? You share with them what that means and leverage that when in the relationship with them? Yeah. So to, to really to put it together, Amy, so one of the things we really believe in, we, we created a graphic that we showed to, to prospective clients and existing clients and we talk about it all the time. We believe in the five pillars or principles of financial planning, retirement income, tax management, estate planning, investment management, and protection, which is essentially insurance. So our meetings are geared around those five the five principles and so on. And to take that a little bit, so I the, the analogy that I give a lot of times to clients is, you, you know, when a doctor goes to medical school, they've got to know, there's a certain body of knowledge that they've got to know about the human body, right? That, that, that you know a sort of a, a minimum standard of, of, of that they have they have to know all the bones and all the muscles and all those those different things so we you know be 
we've made it a requirement now that all our, our advisors are going to become certified financial planners so that, you, you know, it's, it's essentially our medical school, if you will. Within that, we are, we are very focused on becoming world-class and becoming excellent at retirement income planning and tax management. And so that's really where, where we really have looked at it. So the retirement income certified professional through the American College, it's, it's a who's who of all the top minds that are in the top researchers, the Wade Fow, the Michael Finca, the David Blanchett, that, you know, that, at least when I went through that training three or four years ago, those, they, they were the core, uh, Michael Kitsis. I, 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 I don't imagine that's sort of changed, you know, from that. And so because we really, we're, you know, our, and our niche, our specialization is retirement income planning, that is, uh, that, that designation is really, and it's not even just the designation, it's the body of knowledge, really, that you're, you know, really understanding social security planning and, and, you know, income planning and all those types of things. What's the most current research that supports how to do that in, uh, in, a, in a great way? We really looked at tax management as a big thing. We believe that every investment decision has taxes. So we're really, I would say in the last two years, really focused on learning more about taxes. We're not doing tax preparation. We're not trying to supersede the CPA, but what we're trying, you know, obviously with, with uh, the debt situation that we, you know, that we're, you know, our country is in, we really feel like taxes are going to keep going up in the next, you know, we know that in, at the end of 2025, there's supposed to, the Tax Cuts and Job Act is supposed to sunset, but we, you know, we feel like taxes are going to go up even further. So really helping our clients better think of their lifetime taxes and, you know, Roth conversions, all the, all the different things. With specifically with the certified, um, with the certified certification of long-term care, uh, that was a, what was founded by Harley Gordon. If, if uh, folks are familiar with, with him, I really, you know, one of the things we talk a lot about, uh, guys like Tom Hagen, everybody needs a long-term care plan. It doesn't mean you necessarily have long-term care insurance, but with people living longer, you actually, I just told this to a client, you know, I never want clients to believe you're going to spend all your money because, you know, if, if you love your children, you, you don't want to be a burden, you know, burden to your children. And so, so one of the things that we talk about within the long-term care is that, Hey, we want to manage you, your financial affairs so that your kids can supervise your care, not provide it. Anybody that's, that has given a level of care to a loved one or been involved that they know how emotionally, physically, financially stressful it is, not only for the person going through it, but the whole family. And it disproportionately falls on daughters in most families. So, you know, we, we talk a lot about that, you know, that, that kind of thing of that, you know, and parents, parents don't want to really be a, a, that burden to their, their folks or to their children. Rather. That's for sure. I guess this is all a part of that continuing to learn and building your areas of expertise, as you were describing earlier, trying to figure out, you know, where you should be spending your time. And um, I guess one of the other things I would add to our prior conversation about that topic overall is another book people may find helpful is What Got You Here Won't Get You There by Marshall Goldsmith. That was a book that I know really helped me and others in our company kind of figure out where do you have joy? That's great, but you've got to keep growing and learning. And these designations are just another example of figuring out where 
you know, where the, where the next learning opportunity is. And it sounds like your organization has a good handle on that. As you look at sort of core value underpinning, we were just talking about our daily huddle today, you know, and it, it's just like training is just so important. You're, you're, you know, Carolyn Dweck talks about the growth mindset. You, you've always got to be constantly uh, growing and, and so on. And it, because one of my previous career, we spent a lot of time talking about it, you know, and if you, you think about creative destruction, and hey, we're we're in a world now, AI and all the, the things. You can't assume that what got you to the point of success is going to be continuing. You know, the the our, the the S and P is littered with companies, Sears and you know uh, Montgomery Wards and all those types of things of you know companies that sort of stayed stagnant. So we we've got to constantly be learning and evolving to stay relevant. Yep, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, and one of the things you've talked about thus far is how much you enjoy potentially being a trainer and a coach. Maybe I would use that word even more than trainer to your employees and your team, but also your clients. You spend some time coaching your clients. Talk about how that works. How do you become a coach with your clients? Yeah, I think it's in my sort of DNA. I played sports. I still play sports and so on. So that just the whole concept of, of a coach. Uh, that you have. But, you know, Amy, we really believe in life center planning. You know, really, if you peel back the layers, very few people are purely, I would say nobody's purely motivated by money, right? There, you know, and, and what I always tell people, I, 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 I see that was one of the designations I went through was Texas Tech's life center planning, which was a great, great um, uh, certification program and, and so on. One of the things that I share with clients all the time, I say, you know, when you really think about it, what we all want out of life is really sort of three things. We want loving relationships with family and friends. We want to have great experiences and we want to have a life of meaning and purpose. And they're sort of wrapped all all together, you know, getting to know you and Matt, you know, just I know how important family is for you. That's most of us. Right. And, 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 but where we, how we sort of interweave financial planning with that is, is that we talk about inner wealth. That's a concept that we have is that when I used to say this all the time, I'd say when you don't have to worry about money, but the reality of it is we are all going to worry about money to some degree, some way, you know, it's just, it's human nature. So we, we sort of tweak that message and we say, where you're worrying less, if you can worry less and you, you know, that's our, some of our value proposition is that. Hey, we're, we're handling this. You've got to, you know, we're, we're the guy, we're giving you a game plan so that you can worry less. So you can focus on, you know, time with your family and, you know, you know, doing those great experiences, you know, for a lot of our clients, it's traveling or, you know, being in their home and all those different things. And then uh, the life of meaning and purpose, you know, serving and volunteering and all those things. And, and so, so going back to the coaching, you know, really where I really, I want to sort of weave those, those types of things, you know, because my belief in life is we're only going to be here once, you know, you might as well enjoy it, you know, and, you know, we want our clients to, you know, to have, feel comfortable, like you worked hard, you know, build up this money, you better enjoy it, you know, and, and to have, and do those types of things that are meaningful to, and, and it's really, that's how you really connect with them because the money doesn't usually excite them as much as you know their family or their pursuits or whatever whatever they're really into like knowing you and Matt Matt with the fishing you know it's like those are the things that people that's really gets them excited I I, I was uh 
uh, a friend of mine's really into Dan Sullivan and strategic coach. And I've been reading a lot of Dan Sullivan lately. And one of the things that, you, you know, we talk about needs versus wants. And he, Dan Sullivan, he, he said something that was really uh, sort of an oxymoron or paradoxical. We always say, hey, you should just be happy with what you have and all this. And of course, you get that, right? But he goes, you know, he had an aha in his life was that when he really understood of going after the things that you really wanted, that's where you get emotionally, uh, you know, connected and all those those different things. Because, you know, you think about it. Nobody really got excited, you know, brushing their teeth or paying your taxes or, you know, whatever things. It's your it's the things that you get, you know, jacked up about. And that's that gets back into the sort of the coaching that we really talk about is is really talking about that at, at more sort of the emotional level. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's what really separates our segment of this industry from some or many others mm-hmm. is that we are very focused on, yes, money is important and it makes things happen in many cases, but you got to start with what do you want to do? What are What is important to you? What are the experiences? What What's important to you from a values perspective? So I love that. That's great. Just to your point, if, if you're if the listeners are familiar with Bill Backrack, I just went through some of his training and it built it. Man, that was fantastic because it, 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 for him, it's all about the values, you know, and, and so you're 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 spot on. Amy, is, is that, you know, when you when you talk about, the, you know, we make the mistake that every we're all motivated in the same way. We all, we all have, you know, like we talked about, we, our families and friends and our, we all value, but in different ways and different things. And, you know, so it's, it's just so crucial to really find out what, what people value and what's most important to them. Yep, absolutely. It sounds like your process does a great job in doing that. So congratulations. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Let's go back to talking about one of your past lives here where you were in the Navy as a nuclear engineer. You led 20 other nuclear trained operators. First of all, thank you for your service. That sounds very exciting, maybe, but for those of us not in that world, a little dangerous. So I'm glad there's people like you out there that want to go work with nuclear anything. But what are the things that you took away? I am always fascinated with this question for those of our advisors that have served. There's so many lessons I feel like that you end up leveraging in your life, but in particular in this career. What are the main ones for you? Well, there's so much. I'm extremely grateful for my military service time. There's so much. I was uh, (laughs) growing up, you know, an 18 year old. I enlisted in the the Navy right out of high school because I was just too poor to go to college and I didn't know what was available to me. But it really, the most important thing is I grew up a lot, you know, and, and it just, you know, got out of my town and, and just, you know, really, then I, I was able to have a greater appreciation for my parents and, you know, my family. But if I, if I had a sort of pinpoint, you know, one thing that I would probably say, oh, okay, more, I love the United States of America and, just it's the greatest country in the world and just the opportunities that we have we, we've got a lot of problems but you know the opportunity to become entrepreneurial and the, you know change lives like we do and it changed my own family's lives um you know it's been it's been grateful but what i would say specifically being in, in the navy's uh, nuclear engineering program it was founded by a guy by the name of hyman rickover and so one of the things that that I, you know, working in a nuclear power plant, one of the things that that we were we ha- and this just goes back to my, you know, uh, fascination and obsessive 
thing about about training. We did training and training and training. And, and so the difference between the United States and maybe some of the other countries is that we we are very focused on safety first. And hey, we saw this with just the most recent, you know, kind of thing. There's there is safety was everything in the United States Navy before anything. And so so you know one of the things we were trained on, and, and this has been um, something that I've brought to my career here in financial services and being able to go to the training to the team, is that I was trained on what could go wrong. And so, you know, we, one of the things that are, that are approached to, I bring to financial planning, and it, it's, it's the duality. At heart, I am uh, an optimist. I am an optimist by nature, and uh, I'm a glass half full by my, my, my temperament. But my professional training is what could go wrong. And, and, you know, when you're looking at investment management and those types of things, is that, hey, where, what could go wrong? You know, and, and I, I think in that dual role that we serve is, is that, hey, we, you know, we really want to help our clients really look at it. And we need to understand as a fiduciary of what could go wrong and, and really sort of backstop that. That's the reason why we do, you know, we really focus on the retirement income planning, understanding their pensions and their Social Security. We spend a lot of time, you know, because that's guaranteed. And, and so then you, then you can look at on the investment side. Where okay, let's have some things that you know backstop you. Then also, where I'm, I love investing in stocks and all those types of things, and then the optimistic side. So the the Navy really helped me understand what's the downside risk, and we we approach that and you know understand what could go wrong. That's great, great lesson. Thank you for sharing that, um, and uh, I'm glad to hear the team is it resonates with the team as well because um, you know when my kids were growing up and they'd be worried about something taking some sort of a risk, it could be anything. I I trained them or coached them, I guess. What's the worst thing that could happen? And if you can tolerate that and have the plan for the worst thing you can think of that could happen, then you've got it. And it's, it's a similar lesson from us non-military people, I guess. Um, we had to learn that along the way, too. You just had a lot more important things that you were. You had a lot more worse that could happen stories, I think. As you were, you were talking, the other thing that I would probably say, and this relevance to uh, advisors that are going to be a part of this, the other thing that I would probably say, you know, being in nuclear, you can imagine that you had to be extremely, extremely detail-oriented. And so one of the things that that is something, you know, meticulous and obsessive about detail. But, you know, as we grow as, as leaders, you know, you hear this, hey, I've got to become more visionary and I've got to be big picture. Well, the thing that I, you know, is, and you were asking back to the previous questions as, as far as, hey, what are you doing as, as you're growing as a leader? I've had to really cultivate that, that skill set of being big picture, sort of forward looking and all those kind of things. But I also, and, and I, as I'm training my advisors, you've got to be detail oriented, you know, out there. So it's it's not. Sometimes I think it's it, you know, as you listen to business books or read business books or you hear people, you know, you're you're one or the other, you know. And it and to me, you know, you I think there's an element. Now, of course, you hire, you know, you ample if you're one, you you've got a predominance, then you you hire somebody. But even even I think it's a mistake that a lot of business owners make that they well hey I'm I'm a big picture person or I'm a detail person, I really feel that there, you've got to sort of cultivate a little bit of both, and, and hire hire uh, you know for what you maybe you're not as strong at. Good advice. Thank you for adding that. Absolutely. 
All right, Adam, we're coming to the end of my session. My second favorite question is always, what do you do for fun? So I know you enjoy helping out in the community. Um, you've got some charities that you support, but tell our listeners what you get to do in your free time. Well, I'll tell you, you know, where, where it is. I, I've always said I love my family. I just went on vacation with them. My, my son is a uh, is going to be a sophomore in college. My daughters we're getting ready to send her to she, to school. She's a she'll be a freshman. So my family is is numero uno. I love love them dearly, and they'll expend it. My wife Donna. Uh, but if I could tell you, is sort of the passion. There's two things that I would that I would I have really gotten into sort of fitness. I was asked to speak um, at a conference a couple uh, back in November about goal setting and goal achieving. So I, I have a vision board. If you've ever seen the movie The Secret, you know all those things. And so I made the you know as as I'm, as I'm prepping for this this uh, this conference, I I read seven goal setting books and so on. And and I had my vision board, and I always wanted to get in really good shape. And so I you know I I made up my mind to make up my mind to do something. And so I worked. I really got into fitness. Um, and, and so on. And so I, I, thankfully I've down 30 pounds and working out strong, all those different things. And largely that is in support of, of playing baseball and softball. I love, I love, uh, both of those, um, you know, uh, I play on a competitive softball team tournament that goes around the country. And then, uh, I've been doing a, a friend of mine, actually one of the previous owners got me into active into playing baseball so i do a lot of fantasy camps and things along those lines so that's my hey i was a if you asked me what i really wanted to do i would have been the starting shortstop for the baltimore orioles uh, you know on there but i didn't have the talent so yeah, i vicariously uh do it now as a as a much older guy and fun i bet you know again you're on a you're a part of a team you guys get to, uh, the travel sounds amazing. Um, and it's probably something I suspect that your family, family supports you in as well, right? They come watch. Well, my, they, my wife tolerates it <laughs> <laughs> more than anything, but, but, you know, and, and Amy, Amy, the, the thing that I would probably say is that, uh, and, and Hey, I love the competition and I love it, but it, you know, just like in every, everything, and this is the heart of Cambridge, everything in life is about the quality of your relationships. And, you know, more than anything, uh, just, you know, uh, I just played in a tournament this past weekend with a group of guys and we're on the text chains and we're teasing each other. And it, it's and, and particularly as men, as we get older, we're not naturally good at cultivating relationships and all those, those types of things. As I've gotten older, I've realized the power of, you know, of relationships and that more than anything, the teams, to your point, uh, the teams really are about the friendships that you you develop. Yeah. Perfect place to end. Um, Adam, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for being a part of Cambridge Nation and our family. Um, you're a great example of hashtag Cambridge Stronger, and I really enjoyed getting to know you better today. Well, thank you. And I've, I've just loved being a part of Cambridge and I love, uh, you know, the interaction we've had together, Amy, and, you know, I've learned so much from you and Eric and, and the whole team and uh, you guys are fantastic. So thank you for the opportunity to talk and tell the story. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 
Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app.